because I had a um, kind of a panic attack, hot flash, <laughs> whatever it was on the air. And I had to get off the air and not do the last 30 minutes of the newscast. I literally laid on the bathroom floor in the studio had two male producers like, are you okay? I didn't know what was going on. And now I've shared it, you know? And so I feel like that that's the way I have handled my critics is to, to, um, to take it on head on. This is the impossible podcast, an exploration of stories that broke convention, set new standards, smash glass ceilings and redefine the notion of what's possible. Hello, everyone. I am Ashley Miles, founder and CEO of Franklin West. I'm a proud girl mom, business game changer, builder and scaler of top consumer media and entertainment companies. And please meet my amazing co-host and dear friend, Megan Rokosh. Hello, everyone. My name is Megan Rokosh. I'm your co-host today on Impossible. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'm the Global Chief Marketing Officer for Havas Health and You, an Aquarian, and just super passionate about this topic. So we're so glad that you joined us today. Welcome to Impossible, a podcast where we give you a seat at the table to uncover and learn from the incredible raw stories of people who have made the impossible possible. From professional athletes, world-renowned DJs, amazing chefs, we're constantly scouring our networks for the best of the best to bring you the most incredible stories and give you a seat at the table for those who have made the impossible possible. So thank you so much for joining us. And I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Tamson Fidel. Tamson is a dear friend of mine, supporter of New York Women in Communications. I'm so happy to have her on. Tamson is an American journalist, news anchor at WPIX in New York City, and author of the new single, Finding, Fixing, and Falling Back in Love with Yourself. She is also the host and executive producer of Broadway Profiles. From a career perspective, it's quite impressive. Uh, Tamson began her career in uh, broadcasting as a morning anchor for WHNZ Radio in Tampa, Florida, in 2002, she traveled to Afghanistan with the American troops reporting on the war. Fidel reported for the news stations across the country from Pittsburgh to Orlando, Charleston, West Virginia, and Philadelphia. And in 2004, she joined WCBS in New York City and joined WPIX in 2008, reporting and anchoring for the morning news five days a week, covering breaking news as well as featured stories. Tamson co-starred in the 2009 docu-series Matched in Manhattan on Lifetime and is the host of Broadway Profiles for the Broadway Channel featuring in-depth interviews with celebrities as well as an inside look at the Broadway industry. She's won several local Emmy Awards and covered the history-making appearance of Hamilton in Puerto Rico in 2019 after Hurricane Maria devastated the area. What I love about Tamson, and she's all about making a positive impact, not only in our industry, but in the world at large, especially on the breast cancer side, which I'm sure she'll uh, share a little bit about shortly. But Tamson, welcome. And please share with our viewers a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. First of all, I, I love this. I think it's so important. Uh, you know, my whole life has been about uh, sharing other people's stories and because I think that's how we learn. I think it's how we get inspired. So uh, I, I came to New York about 
now uh, 16, 17 years ago. And um, like you said, I was all over, I was all over the country, but uh, I started my journey. I was in Albany, New York for the first part of my life and then moved to Texas uh, with my family. And um, I, when I graduated and then, and then Florida, so I've, I've moved around quite a bit. We were talking earlier and I said, I, I didn't realize how many places I moved until I looked at my bio and saw it. But uh, when I left college, I, I left college and I said, I want to be a journalist. That's what I want to do. And so I got my first job in radio and uh, and learned learned it there. I learned how to write. I learned how I learned where my voice was. I had a the first time I, I got on the radio there, I had this voice and it sounded, it was really high pitched. I was very, very nervous. And I remember the news director I had at the time came in and he goes, I don't know what's going on there, but little girls like this are not doing radio, so you better sort out that voice of yours. So I took voice lessons and uh, and learned how to, you know, where to find my, you know, where to find my voice, literally and and, and figuratively. Um, but you know, I, I and I got I got some great opportunities along the way. I was really, really uh, lucky, but I was always really ambitious about what I wanted. I wanted eventually to get to New York. I wanted to tell people stories and I wanted every day to be different. And that was the, the big part of it. I didn't want to have the same day at work every day. And I have uh, been lucky not to have that. So every, every day is, is a little bit different and that's exciting to me. And it keeps me uh, inspired at the age of uh, 50 years old, having been in the business for a number of years now. So Tamsin, talk to us a little bit about finding um, your passion, that initial moment where you decided, you know, this is what I want to do. I think for so many people, the purpose of this podcast is not only to find out what makes the impossible possible, but also help people determine what is that goal that they're after? What is the the impossible that they want to make their own? So um, what was it that, that sparked you to understand that really broadcast journalism or journalism at large was the thing that you wanted to do? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question because I didn't know is the truth. I uh, graduated from school with a uh, major in, I, I had a, I started with philosophy. Like that was my first, the first thing I was studying. Then I studied psychology. And I was always interested because I was interested in, in learning. I love learning and I loved trying to understand what made people tick, right? Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I started taking some classes in mass communication and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with radio at the time and I fell in love with storytelling. So I joined the newspaper and wrote stories and remembered kind of chasing them down and saying, well, maybe this is something I'd be interested in doing. And so I did an internship in Tampa, actually at Channel 13 in Tampa, uh, WTVT. And I loved it. I just I fell in love with the, the meetings, the story meetings, like going in in the morning and listening to reporters pitch their stories and like investigating things and going out on interviews. And I'd, I'd sit in the car like a little puppy dog at each one of the things. Like, are we going to go talk to somebody today? I just loved it. I, and I was an intern and I was, they were very, they were great to me. And I've always tried to pass that along because my internship is what taught me that's what I wanted to do. So I've always tried to have interns, uh, push interns forward. Uh, some of the interns I've had in other markets now have jobs in New York, which is really cool. They're on the air. And so that, I think that that's super exciting because I think you have to do that. You have to keep giving back to what gave to you. That's how I feel anyway. Um, and so that's really where I found it. I found it by be, actually being able to do it. You know, at the time, and you know this, there was no Facebook and there was no Instagram and there was no LinkedIn to link in with anybody. So you, you kind of had to go through the motions of what you wanted to do and go after it and pick up the phone and figure it out or type on a typewriter and send your resumes out there. I sound really old, but, but that's what you had to do. And that's how I figured it out because I, 
I went in and I did it and I just loved it. And I, I guess I look at it now and I say, what was it like if I had a certain number of days that made me happy, I figured out that's what I wanted to do, you know? So if I'm miserable five days a week, then that's clearly not the job for you. But, but I enjoyed it. Like I couldn't wait to go back. I didn't care what time they had me work. I didn't care when I did it, where I was going, who I talked to. So that started it. Um, I lost my mom in 1990 to breast cancer after a six year battle. So I, I think I became appreciative of every single day and I became appreciative of people more than, than I had maybe before before and I wanted to, to always give back and so that's where my mission with breast cancer has come all these years later and uh, and so that's always been important to me to try to get women mammograms that can't afford them because there are a lot out there that don't do it because they can't afford it not because they forget to do it and so I feel like we're very privileged to be able to have the opportunity if you have the health insurance to have mammograms but to not be able to do it so, I, so I've worked hard on that through the years because that's what detected my mom's breast cancer was a mammogram at the time and was early detection so, um, but anyway, so that's what made me appreciative about my career and, and uh, you know, telling people stories and being able to help them in some way and amplify a voice because at that time, if people didn't have somewhere to go, they didn't go to Twitter and say, hey, I have a problem with so-and-so airlines or this person took my money. They didn't, they had the news and they would call the news and say, hey, I've been wronged or I've been victimized or, or something's happened to me. Can you help me? And I felt like that was the place, place for me to be able to tell their stories. Amazing. And so when you look at from the intern days, right, college into internships to where you are now in your life, personally and professionally, clearly you have insane drive, right? I can't imagine getting up every day and all of those corporate hierarchies and everything that I'm sure you faced. So beyond passion, because clearly passion drove you and drives you every day, clearly, but where else do you source your drive? How do you do it? I mean, every day. Yeah. I, you know, I think I've, I've tried to do a couple of things with myself and this is of late. This is the work of late is that I've tried to be a little more compassionate with myself and not so hard on myself because that gets me nowhere when I'm, uh, but you still have to have drive. Right. So that's a, that's a kind of a tough balance. And then I've also realized that I'm, something's always going to surprise me. It doesn't matter what it is. If they're going to uh, bring somebody else in to sit next to me, if they're going to put me on a different story, if if one job's not going to work out, but another one might. So I've, I've tried to learn how to deal with those punches, you know, because I think what um, paralyzes us sometimes in our world or in our careers when we get surprised and then we don't know what to do with it and we don't like that feeling, right? We want to know, women like us want to know what what's the next thing that's going to happen? Where do I go from here? Then what do I do? And then what happens at the end? And so I think navigating that has had to learn how to, when I'm surprised, it's okay, and how to pivot from there. And that's what I've had to do through the years because, you know, they, this is an industry where they like you or they don't like you, or they, uh, you know, they do test groups to see if people like you, or they figure out what your ratings are. I mean, you're rated every day, you know? And so I, at one time I thought, I don't, I don't think I could live like that. And now it's just kind of part of life. So I think you learn how to get beyond those things, but if you can make sure in whatever career you're in, not to get, be paralyzed because you get surprised by a decision or the way something goes, I think you're able to move further faster. That makes sense. And is there an example? Because if I'm the viewer, I'm thinking, but you're Tamsin. You're so perfect, right? How could they not want you? So can you give us real life example where you were just totally just punched 
or caught guard and you had to really reset and power through. Uh, you know, because I can't imagine being a broadcaster, having a sleepless night over stress and then having to show up and perform the next day. So is there an example you think would resonate with our viewers? I mean, you know, mine was my divorce, really. That, that um, uh, embarrassed, it was a knock, you know, it was a, it was a big knock. It was a, a public divorce. Uh, we were both in the media. Um, we had a business together. We were running a matchmaking business on the, on the side. It was his full-time job and I was helping. And um, we were this couple, you know, out there giving advice on love and relationships. And, um, and for the reasons that, you know, things don't work out, it didn't work out. And I finally, I tried to uh, avoid that decision for a long time and then realized that it was unavoidable and we were going to go through a divorce. And we tried to keep it private for a long time. And then uh, the newspaper got a hold of it. And, you know, I walked, I walked out of my building one day and the, you know, I, I opened the paper and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the paper. Page six is my divorce of my failure. And at the time, it was just a little bit different than it is now. It wasn't like, hey, I got a divorce. Here's my advice on what to do with divorces. It was, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to know about this because this is perceived in my mind as I failed. Um, two, we're running around with a business telling people how to be in love and we can't even keep our relationship together. And three, I have to go on the air this morning. I was a morning anchor at the time and act like everything's okay, even though I made the news that day. I, you know, my job is not to make the news, it was to deliver the news. And so that was a punch that took me a while. I mean, I remember... Um, going into work every day being one person and coming home at night to an empty apartment with just a couch there because he had I'd, I'd gotten rid of everything and it was like me my dog uh no money because financially that just it became a big mess and having to hide that world from my work world and um and then i took a couple of punches at work too at that time i was demoted i was uh, somebody else was brought in to take over the show that i was on so it felt like everything was kind of dropping on top of itself and i couldn't I couldn't get up for air. And, um, and I remember laying there one night in this empty apartment with like echoey floors and I had two little dogs that, you know, I got left with the dogs. Um, and so, and I remember going like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I don't, I don't know what's next. Like, I don't know how to go forward next. And I, and I started making lists of my life, which I think of it now and it sounds so silly, but I would literally make a list and be like, get up, you know, walk the dog, get dressed, 30 minutes, go to the gym, uh, go to work. And I would follow, I would take a piece of paper, like a, uh, just like this kind of piece of paper. And I would, I would make this list. It was just like a, this, and I'd carry it, I carried around in my life so I could get through my days because there was, that was the only way to do it is to get through my days of organized, like somebody telling me what to do, me telling me what to do on a list. Um, but that's how I got through it. And I, and I realized I had to take like little baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. I spent a lot of time, um, you know, with myself, trying to figure out what was next, writing a lot. And eventually, four years later, I, you know, I wrote a book about it called The New Single, um, Finding, Fixing, Falling Back in Love with Yourself. And then I kind of detailed everything that I did. And it, so it wasn't a book on how to get back in there and date. It was a book on how to get through this time. And I did it in a one-year period. Like I did um, increments of 90 days because I feel like you can develop habits in that amount of time. And I just showed how I did it. And they were very simplistic things, but they worked for everything. They worked for my job and they worked for my personal life because, you know, those things are really not separated as much as we like to separate them. You kind of bring a lot of those problems in. So that's that's what I did. And it wound up being a book. And I, I feel like it resonated with a lot of people, specifically women, though. And it got me closer to 
understanding that I wasn't alone and understanding that there are other people out there with the same problems and understanding that we're all human and that whatever we see on Instagram might not always be exactly the way it is. And that's what tried to, you know, I tried to do on Instagram now is make my life a little more real. And so the person that they see on television every night with makeup and eyelashes and, you know, their outfit pressed and their red dress or blue dress or whatever it is, uh, you know, there's somebody else there too. And so I try to make that it be as authentic as I, as I can. And was that a journey for you, Tamsin? Like your authenticity is really beautiful and it it resonates with us and clearly does with your audience. But um, that sort of first time where you got knocked and I think so many people glamorize having a public life, it is super, super, super tough. I think everybody has a small version of that, you know, being on Instagram and through social media. But what was that journey like for you um, really harnessing the power of your vulnerability and turning it into something that you you actively pursued in terms of opportunities and platforms, et cetera? Yeah, uh, scary, um, uncertain. Like I never knew what was going to happen. You know, I never knew what that was going to be like because when, when I went through this and it was in 2012 and then to 2015 and 15 is when the book came out. Um, we were at a time where like, you didn't, I mean, I guess that maybe it's my generation too, and I'm not sure and I, you might agree or not, but like, we didn't talk about our stuff, you know, like we just put it back there and then put on whatever front we needed to put on when we got to work. Right. And we didn't use it to help somebody else or use it to help ourselves. And so I, I was very scared. I was scared that I was going to get fired. I was scared that they were going to think that it wasn't so great. I, and I actually remember this. Um, I went on a book tour with my book and I remember and I went on the talk, like on the, on the TV show, the talk. And I remember thinking like, oh, when my bosses see this, are they going to be upset that like, I'm talking about my failure? That was how ingrained it was in me to be proper and the right person. And so I was very afraid. And then when I got to the other side of it, I was like, that was so liberating. And it was great to be able to be me. And I don't care what anyone thinks. And so, it, so I had to go through that very like I was very scared, um, but I had to go through that time and push through. And I, and I think, you know, I, I look at it. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, I just want to be that strong girl. I was, and I was young again, because every once in a while now turning 50, I feel that fear come back. And I said, I feel like I had this little, there's this little thing I had where I unlocked it. It was like this little bold thing I unlocked and it came out and I felt invincible. Right. And how do you get that? And I said, well, it's like unlocking your bold. And so I keep, I've been playing with that sentence in my mind. Cause I keep thinking like, that's what it was. And I had to kind of figure out where my strength came from. And for me, my strength at that point came from knowing what I had already been through in my life, losing my mother. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens after that? Like, I can't even think of it. So I thought if I got through that and I took that and I became a better person, you know, and, and became who I am, how could I not get through this little thing? And so that's really kind of been my motto is like, what's the worst thing that can happen at this point? Um, I've been through it. So everything else is okay. And everything else is kind of like, you're going to figure a way around it. It might not be tomorrow and you might not have a clear path, but there's going to be a way around it. And oftentimes there's a there's a better outcome than what you were, you know, trying to, to figure out or planning for. Wow. Um, Tamsin, tell us, do you have an inner critic? How do you, who is she? How do you tame her? What does she say to you? Yeah. I love that question, by the way. Um, yes, we are twins. We're very close. <laughs> She's with me all the time. Um, yeah, I do have an inner critic and uh, it's a great question. I just love it. You, you, need, you need to ask that all the time. It's just great. I do. And I don't always know how to handle it. You know, I, I don't. 
And uh, the, in fact, this morning, I, um, I have somebody else in my family very close to me that uh, has been diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. So I have been very, just, it's consumed me and uh, consumed my family. And I, um, I, woke up, I got up this morning and I was like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. And then I, I remember having this conversation with myself, like, well, why don't you want to get out of bed? You've had these days before you don't want to get out of bed. What do you do? They usually wind up being a great day somehow down the line. I think with the inner critic, I, I try, I'm a big person in terms of writing. Like I write down, again, I write down those lists, like what, what am I feeling and, and what am I really feeling? Not what do I feel uh, on the surface? What am I really feeling? What am I really afraid of? And then what are the five worst things that can happen? And then what are the five best things that can happen? Right. And so now I do it in my mind. I don't always have to write it down, but but, I, but that's what I try to do with that. I mean, my, my, my inner critic is there all the time. Like it, all the time. When I'm on television reading the news, if I mess up on a word, I'm like, oh, what's wrong? You suck. You know, and then I hear myself and I said, oh my God, anything comes out of your mouth goes right back in your ears. So you, you're just always hearing yourself. So if you're going to do that to yourself, you're your own worst critic, right? And so I've tried to learn how to laugh it off a little bit, or I try to learn how to, um, you know, stomach some of the things, let the critic be there, and then move forward from it right because it's almost necessary to have her right inside it's what keeps us on it and making good decisions and doing a good job but at the same time it's just we got to learn how to manage her well I, I think also because you um you know mine is a comparison a comparison one mine is comparing she got further ahead she got this how did they do that when did they do that how did they get their book here how did they get their brand here um and, and then I've learned, like, at the end of it all, like, we've all kind of gone through the same struggles, whether we want to admit them or not. And some people don't. Some people just want to put out the perfect thing. I have the perfect way to make a million dollars, and I'm the smartest one, and I've never had a problem ever. But we know that's not true. All of us have gone through something. So I feel like I'm more inclined to uh, want to be next to somebody who goes, yeah, this journey has been awful like this has been really hard and then i got here and i feel like i have so much more respect for that person and so much more in common with that person right and somebody that can criticize themselves and somebody that is okay with saying i'm not perfect and i'm unfiltered and i'm unscripted i've lived my whole life on television scripted so outside of tv i'm okay being unscripted a bit i actually appreciate it. have you heard that quote comparison robs joy no, but I believe it. That comparison absolutely robs joy, and we can't help but compare ourselves to others. So it's definitely a, a struggle. It, it is. It really is. I feel sorry for you know um, younger people that sometimes it's they haven't had experience right in certain areas. Like we've had the experience of what happens with the tough roads. So if I only had the um, comparison part, I think it could be very very difficult. But I've had the experience part, so I understand how to hurdle some of those things and just know that it takes time, right? And a different lens to look at stuff. But um, yeah, the comparison does rob joy and time. It's amazing, Tamsin, to see your self-awareness because you're somebody who has clearly developed an amazing seal to watch themselves and self-manage. And you're not the first person that we've seen that's incredibly successful, that's had a great, great skill at that. Is that something that you developed? Did you have that naturally? Were you taught that by you know mentors or parents or talk to us about that? Uh, to self-manage. You know, what's interesting about that? I, I guess I, I don't guess I don't even see it in myself, but I think it's really important. But I, I do remember um, I was with, uh, I was with a mentor at one time and she said, <clears throat> for every 
But re remember this, um, because at that time I was starting, you know, I was on the air and it was a smaller market and people would come up to you and more people would know you in a smaller town. And, um, and she said, for every 10 people that love you, somebody is critical of you and doesn't love you. So don't ever let that stuff go to your head and always remember why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing. Don't let your head get so big. And <clears throat> I never forgot that because I, um, I think it's important to kind of keep the, the ego in balance, but it's also important to have, have some of that, right? To have, comp have it in the form of confidence. But I never forgot what she said because she was always very, very right. And so I feel like it kept me sort of uh, right there in the middle. So I never let something get to my head when I made ridiculous decisions based on the fact that I thought I was invincible. Uh, but I made good decisions based on, you know, the, I guess I think the right thing to do, the right decision. I still think public speaking is the number one fear in the world. Oh, I, I can't stand speaking publicly. I, everyone is, I, I can't stand it. Really? Like I, oh, no, I, I, um, I do it all the time. I'm never afraid every night when I go on a camera, because remember in the studio, there's five to 10 people in the studio at a, any given time. And I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at a camera, but public speaking, you feel everyone's energy right in that room. Right. So you, you can feel how people feel about you. Even if you're doing it on, maybe zoom is a little bit easier for me, but <clears throat> in person, I feel that now when I'm done with it, I feel amazing. Like, oh my gosh, I could, you know, pick up a car. I feel so strong. Um, but before I do it, I always have a lot of anxiety about it. Yeah, tons. Well, well, given the fact that public speaking is the number one fear, I believe, in our country, yeah. how do you, what are some tips you might give people to overcome public speaking? Oh, I can do that one because I, I have to every time I do it. Um, you know, I... I am always really prepared, um, but I always do things in bullet points versus, because it's what I know how to do from work. So instead of having a full-fledged script, I always have bullet points in there. So it makes my brain have to think about it a little in a little different way. So I really understand why and what I'm talking about versus the words. So instead of the words, I always want to know what the concept of it is. And so I do bullet points. So I'll, I'll come up with a you know, with a piece of paper and we'll have like a couple of words on each line. So I understand what my format is. And I've, I, I do know that when I get up there to speak, if it's in person, obviously, I always kind of take that moment to compose myself and get the, get the room. That's how I feel like, that's what I feel like I'm doing. So uh, I don't go up there and then start talking right away because you kind of trip over your own words, right? When you're doing that. So I take my moments. I feel like that is my moment for whatever it is, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever I, whatever it takes. I need to feel like my feet are grounded and not uh, get out of breath because you know what happens when you start getting nervous. You, you double clutch. And then I always try to get the room on my side. And so I'll say something like, well, you know, how's everyone doing tonight? Or how's everyone doing today? And, and get a response. If I don't hear a response, I'll do it again or do it again until I feel like they're alive and then they're with me. Instead, I don't want to ever speak at a group. I want to speak with them, you know, so they feel comfortable. And um, I think that that's always the way that I've been able to be able to breathe on my own because that's what it is. What makes people nervous about public speaking is they can't like everyone's staring at them, right? And they feel all that energy and they feel like they're taking it all in. And instead I try to like share it with them. So I'm not the only one that's, you know, part of that conversation. 
It's so beautiful too because a couple of questions ago you said something that really struck me, which was remember why you're doing what you're doing. Some advice that you received from a mentor, and I think you know, in light of the fact that you are you are out there every single moment of every day, and I don't think people understand how much you know making the impossible possible includes that. You are so vulnerable all the time, but that idea of staying close to your purpose and that superseding any setback that you have is I think such an interesting, fascinating and important point. So I would love for you to just elaborate on that a little bit more if you could. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, look, we're we all we're all in uh, warp speed, right? We're all uh, trying to be an author and a speaker and a brand person and, a, and a, run a successful business. And so that we're always thinking about the next part to where there's, you know, we're making money and how we're scaling stuff. And so I, I think that sometimes we lose sight, right? Of exactly where we are in that moment. And so, there's a reason that Headspace and all these meditation apps are so popular because we are not in, you know, it's hard to be mindful nowadays. It's really a struggle to focus and not get, be on your computer, but get caught with your notifications or hear your phone go off. Or, so I think with speaking for me anyway, I've had to learn how to be in that moment and nothing else matters. And I have to know I'm not talking to those people for me. I'm talking to them for them. And that if I would only be there if I had information for them. So I try to make sure that um, they're getting everything. I think of them as a customer, right? I hope that I want to give them everything that I have so they feel fulfilled at the end of it and they're happy with it versus, hey, I'm out here because I want to make sure I have another tape for my website. So, you know, TEDx wants me. Like, that's not why I'm doing that. I'm doing that. So even if what I'm talking about hits 10 people in the room, um, you know, they've gotten something from that. And I think if you think of it like that versus um, from the ego point of view or, you know, a a different way, I think you you approach it differently, right? So when I do the news, I approach it like, hey, here's what you need to hear about what's going on in your community. So, you know, oftentimes I'll put those words in a script, like tonight, here's what's happening in your neighborhood, not here's what's happening. So I can show you my new dress on television. And I'm going to, you know, I, I, I always try to make sure that they're the, they're the customer that I'm serving up my information. You know, we talked earlier about your inner critic and I'd love to hear, I think our viewers would love to hear how do you manage your external critics, right? If you think about politics, if you think about, you know, 50% of the people might love you and maybe 40, 50% might not be so into us. Right. So how do you, manage that yeah i mean i guess i've I've had them for a long time um uh they weren't as they weren't as um they weren't able to get to you quite so quite so quickly like they are now right we didn't have all these ways to be able to talk to people um and I i remember when i first started going on facebook i was in the morning show at the time and i would go on facebook and chat with people and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm not just talking at them. I'm talking with them so they can talk to me while I'm on television. It was great. And then I get a couple of little not nice comments, right? Or a couple of just weird, just rude, overly, like just not nice comments. And I, I it really bummed me out for a while. Like it really, I, and I would try to change that for them. I tried to adjust to them. And then at one point I had this guy that for whatever reason, I was his focus to write blogs about Whatever it was I did, if I, if I went on the talk for my book, he'd critique it. If I uh, shared something openly, he'd critique it. He would take screenshots of me on the air and put them on his article. And it was just awful. And I, and I, I, saw, I found myself adjusting 
to him, to this party of one. And I, and I was like, what am I doing? I know who I am and I'm adjusting to him. So forget it. Now I'm going to go all out there and do anything I want. And he'll have so much content. He won't know what to do with it. He eventually just stopped. But he was a, you know, he was a writer. He was a, a TV critic or whatever he thought he was. He was a blogger. And um, I was just, I'm so, uh, I remember it. He had me like on a strings, like a puppet. And, and it, it was, took a while for me to go, oh, this is not okay. He's adjusting what everybody else might like. And I'm playing to this party of one. So I, I guess I, I really learned that, you know, you've got to do it again. Um, understand what your purpose is. Understand why you're there. And then I think you can't go wrong, right? And so whatever a critic says, you bring it back to the center and you know why you were there. Not there for them or not there to please anybody. You're there, you know, to present for me, present that information. I um, recently got, you know, I turned 50. So I um, am a, a little aware of it now on television. Cause I was told, uh, I was told maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, a, a woman that was a little older than me said to me, you know, when you're like 40, 45 years old, you're kind of done in television. That's, that's not what they want. They don't want women of you know a certain age. And this was back before we were ever talking about, you know, our ages, we were, before we talked about our age at all. And so I spent a long time being really worried about that and trying to hide my age and hide who I was and put on a lot of makeup. And, it, and then I, I realized as, you know, as time has gone on and maybe in the last two or three years, we've just been a little more open with it. And, um, and I've interviewed people that have just been incredible and like they have so much of that bold in them um, past a certain age. And so I realized my age wasn't in my mind that big a deal. And I had a, um, a viewer recently say to me, a knees are not a girl's friend over 45, Tamsin, please cover yours up. And again, my critic, uh, my ex an external critic, you know, she wrote it to me. She wrote, a, she wrote it to my website. So to make sure I got it, it sent an email to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's right. Like I'm old. Am I too old to be on television? external critics. And then I realized, nope, I'm going to do what I used to do. So I went on Instagram with no makeup. And I went on with, you know, talking about age. And just recently, I've, you know, maybe the last two months, I've talked quite a bit about menopause, because I had a um, kind of a panic attack, hot flash, <laughs> whatever it was on the air. And I had to get off the air and not do the last 30 minutes of the newscast. I literally laid on the bathroom floor in the studio had two male producers like, are you okay? I didn't know what was going on. And now I've shared it, you know? And so I feel like that that's the way I have handled my critics is to, to, um, to take it on head on, just head on. It's so beautiful how you do that. Cause I feel like you, you take what they're criticizing you for own it completely, whatever your relationship is that you make sure you're square with that. And then you just put it out there. And I think yeah. so many people could relate to that, whether it's a workplace bully or you're in food and your, your, your food's getting criticized or your presentation's getting criticized if you're in the corporate environment. So I think that that is just such an empowering way to manage it. And coming from that spirit of service that you've articulated just helps keep everything in check. What can they do if you've done that, right? If you're now admitting that this is your whatever they want to call it flaw problem whatever it is so i just figure that you know they don't have much room they don't have much wiggle room after that right it takes all of the power um, out of that articulation and i think in the work that you do and for anybody i mean the internet can be a dark place which is a a lose-lose proposition um, my question to you is as somebody who is super driven and obviously feedback is is so important in broadcast journalism and in, in any career how do you differentiate between what is 
criticism that's valuable to intake and that you might want to adjust and respond to versus, you know, just kind of darkness and spew that's coming your way? How, how do you differentiate between those two things? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think, look, I, I don't not hear the criticism and, and laugh about all of it. I mean, I'm aware of, of different things. Uh, somebody said to me the other day, you mispronounced a word. And I, I was during, it was for the Broadway show that I did. And I, and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I, and then I was real, I was annoyed and then I, myself, and then I was annoyed that he brought it up. And then I was grateful because I thought, you know what that does? That makes me take a beat and go back to being a little more mindful and a little more aware and make sure that I'm not too cocky and I, I'm paying attention to what I'm doing all the time and not doing that real fast and then doing something else. So his critique uh, gave me, which wasn't done in a mean spirit in any way, but it made me feel badly. But what he did with me in that critique was make me remember like we're all, you know, we can all make mistakes and then you have to maybe pay just a little bit more attention. So I do try to process those uh, into good, bad, or useful somehow, uh, you know, a lesson learned. Is there a lesson in there somewhere? I mean, not about my knees, but. <laughs> Going back to age, I think one of the things, of many things I love so much about you is how you own your age at being 50. Talk to us about 50 but also talk to us about maybe the evolution from 30s to 40 to 50. And what are those differences? And, uh, you know, because many of our viewers are in their 20s, 30s and 60s, right? So help us really understand the differences. Yeah, I mean, you look at my 20s and 30s, my 20s, I never even thought about age at all. I did was just, I was like, I can't wait till I get a little bit older so I have more experience. That's what I wanted to do when I was in my 20s. And, um, and I think that I... Somebody said to me, like, don't wish it away. And I thought, how could I wish it away every year? There's so many years left. And um, then, you know, I really enjoyed my, my 30s. Um, I just had a good time. And I was moving around quite a bit. And I think that that was when I had the majority of my confidence, right? Because I had a little experience under my belt, but not too much, but not not enough. And so I, I did like 31, 32, 34. I was on top of it. Like, I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that I um, wasn't afraid. I didn't have a lot of fear. I didn't, I didn't fear anything because I wasn't too old and I didn't fear anything because I wasn't too young. And then in my 40s, um, I guess I had some of that. In my 40s, I got a little more nervous, you know, because I was coming, remember, I was living off of what this person said to me, that when you get to be 50, they're not going to want, or, you know, you're 45, 50, they're not going to want you on television. So I always thought that I had to figure out this second chapter. I, I thought I had to figure out this whole other career because I wasn't going to have anything that I had worked toward left. And then when I realized that that was not the case and it was going to be okay, I embraced it again and said, okay, now here's where I am. I am this age. I am still on television. Uh, you know, what do you want to know? Um, I, we're seeing women talk about age more than that. You remember there was a time where women, you know, Coco Chanel was like, don't ever admit your age. You know, women didn't admit their age for, for a very long time. And so I, I appreciate seeing that now. Um, and I appreciate the fact that midlife is, a, is just a new beginning for a lot of people taking their experiencing it and moving it into something else. For Christmas this past year, I sent my grandmother, Madeline, in New Orleans, who's 82, the Iris Appel book. Oh, yeah, that's great. Inspire her where it's, you're 82, but it's just starting now. And she read it twice, and she's even invested in some massive eyeglasses, and her whole world is like she's ready for 100. So 
I love it. I have to read that. You know what I have here, which is the one that inspires me all the time. Sorry, I'm just showing you fast. Is Norma Kamali. She wrote, I'm invincible. And she's got her glasses game going on too. But um, I talked to her and she's newly engaged and she's just, she's just killing it. It's just, it's amazing to, to see that. And I was really, I was lucky enough to interview her and I just love that she is, is empowered by age and her quote is age with power. And I, I think there's really something to that. I think to ourselves a great service to just collectively drop that. So <laughs> that's our commitment to you, Tams, and you've inspired us. We're going to own our age. Um, and I think speak more openly about that. I think that is way, way, way overdue to be dropped yeah. from our society. I mean, we just need to start to covet the experience and wisdom that comes with age and just respect it and celebrate it and find great joy in it. So thank you so much for inspiring us to do that. Yeah, of course. The whole purpose of this podcast is all about turning the impossible to possible. You And you've sort of danced around a bunch of different times that you did that. So, you know, Ashley articulated your numbers of times an Emmy-winning award broadcast journalist, which is incredible. You've, you're this published author. Um, you, we didn't talk a lot about your background, but you come from humble beginnings and have sort of like fought your way up to really, you know, the center of news, which is New York City and the platform that you're on today. So can you talk to us about, did you have a perspective on the fact that you wanted to accomplish those things? Um, did you have a sense that they were impossible as a young child, you know, with these big dreams? And then how did you overcome rectifying making things that might seem impossible and making them possible, even as you're living and articulating what you're doing today? You know, I, I don't think I ever, you know, all those things were in magazines for me. Like I was living in Texas at the time and I would look through magazines and I was like, that's amazing. You know, that person's amazing. I, so I, I think, you know, and we watched it all through television. And um, when I finally, you know, went to school and graduated and, um, and I did my first job in Oak Hill, West Virginia, was after radio. I did radio in Tampa and then I did uh, my first job in Oak Hill, West Virginia. And I, I bought this little book and it was a book of the television markets. And it would say like one through 200 and something. I don't even know how many there are. And I would circle, I circled New York and I wrote like 2000, the year 2000 on it. And that was the year I wanted to get to New York. I remember it very well because I'm like, well, it's even number sounds reasonable. So I would hopscotch through that book with all these markets. I'd be in a market a year, year and a half, two years, but a market being a city, right? So I went from Oak Hill, West Virginia to Charleston, West Virginia to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Orlando, Florida, back to Philadelphia. And I would write down the dates of every place, you know, 1990, whatever, 1994, 19, uh, 2000. I, I didn't get to New York until 2004. So I was four years behind, but I finally got there. I never, I never let that book go. It was always like, that was my goal. Um, I, and I think that, you know, I guess I, I thought it was impossible many times when I would be in the middle of West Virginia, in the middle of, you know, I didn't even know where at the time, uh, trying to do a story and thinking like, how am I ever going to convert this smaller experience into that, what I want to do? Um, but I just kept going after it and I kept not hearing no. I'd sent resumes out all the time. I sent, you know, and you would type them in and you would mail a tape. That's what you did. And you wouldn't just like send a link. You'd mail it, mail a tape. I'd stay there hours at night making my tape. But I, but I guess I never really heard no. I was just like, uh-huh. Okay, well, I guess not right now. You don't want me, but you will. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going because I felt like I had gone so far. And, you know, I think that my mom's illness did a lot that I didn't realize at the time. I think it was six years, really hard years for my family. And I think we went through that together and it gave me a real strength. I have a small family with my brother, my dad, and I. 
but I had a real strength in there um, where I felt like I could do anything. And I don't, I don't know why, why you know, it wasn't anything that, you know, that said to me, um, you know, you've got this, you've got all the money in the world. Don't worry about it. I didn't have anything. Like I was, I was living on paycheck to paycheck and on credit cards and, and, you know, whatever I could do. Cause I really knew that that's what I wanted. And I refused to, to hear no, even when, you know, my tape would be bypassed or I'd get a rejection letter or an agent didn't want me or the agent said like they, I remember one time they said they want somebody more like the girl next door. So you don't look like the girl next door and your name is like a weird name. So I, and I really did try to like bend into every which way I could. And now I look back and I, I wish I had had the answers I have today. Right. Um, but despite those things, which you would never hear nowadays, like I would hope to God, nobody would ever even, you know, think like that, but never know but um but i remember that making me even more powerful like oh now i've now i've got this to contend with i'm still gonna do it and so when i got to new york i was really proud of myself you know i was really proud of the fact that um that i had fought a lot of those things that i didn't think were going to you know that i was told weren't going to work i love it well we have two questions left um the next thing we'd love to hear in, on the fun side of things is any favorite books, TV shows, podcasts? Give us your short list right now. Oh, gosh. I should have pulled them all together for you. Um, let's see. So I'm loving a couple of books that I have sitting right over here. One is going to be about menopause. It's called Menopause Confidential. Um, Dr. Tara Allman wrote that. And um, I think it's a great book. And there's another book, um, Life, Life is in the Transitions. And I just think that's a super special book to me because we oftentimes think we have to have this big event and that's life. And um, this author goes through the fact that it's in those little transitions that we're going through every single day that we just kind of push aside. Um, but those are the ones that we're really living our life in. So I'm, tr I'm really trying to learn that. Um, I love 10% Happier for my, you know, for one of the things that I listen to day in and day out. Thank you, Dan. And um, let's see, what, what other question? Oh, TV shows? Yeah, or, yeah podcast, anything. Yeah, I'm watching Yellowstone right now, actually. I'm obsessed with that one. Don't know why. Maybe it's because it's like a little bit of Texas in there somewhere. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It takes place in Montana, so I enjoy that. And podcasts. Um, I've been listening to Just Be with Bethany because I think she actually, Bethany Frankel does some good interviews with, with people. And there was one other one. I'm just going to pull it up if you don't mind. Oh, I love Unlocking Us, Brene Brown, obviously. And you know what? Um, a friend of mine is doing a, um, a crime one, actually, Anatomy of a Murder. And he's a, he and I used to work together at CBS, and he's doing a, a podcast now about true crime. So I've been listening to that. I love crime, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing, a, he's doing a great job. He was a reporter and then started his own production company. Now he's got a huge true crime podcast. You always love those uh, stories of nets, right? Well, our last question is always the same, Tamsin. And um Thank you so much for just walking us through your entire journey. You have clearly defied all the rules, which is the purpose of this podcast, and you're an inspiration to all of us. So our last question is, what is possible? What is possible? Oh, um, I think if you can think it and you really want it, it's possible. I do. I really do. I think that you have to not hear no. And I think that even if you hear the no, you just have to go another way. You know, if, some, if this door shut, this one possibly opens, or I was not in a place where I was supposed to be, you know, and, and I was pushed somewhere else, and it wound up being better. 
It really, and I, and I, I have so many different examples of that, that I, I really, I really do believe it. I really do. Well, you shared so much with us today. I think so many folks will be listening to this, taking your list into consideration, you know, pressure testing your decisions and thinking of what's the worst possible thing that could happen, uh, owning their age. You've given us so many amazing tidbits. So thank you so much for joining us. And we're so excited to watch you for the next 10, 20, 30 years on broadcast because you're defying all of it. You have so much to give. You're beautiful and so experienced. And we just can't thank you enough for sharing your insight and your amazing story with us today. 